that they've never resolved. So you know, you see, like I used to, we used to go to this uh, old people's home near Chithurst and we'd see Gambira, and uh, you go in there and, and, and all these old people sitting in the lounge, and and it's just some of them, you know, just stuck with like with a broken record. And there was one old lady who used to sit there and every once in a while she'd, she'd say, you're not going to get my money. <laughs> so, imagine, you know, that's how you end your life, repeating that. That's pathetic, isn't it? Because, but yeah, I can understand how that can happen if you... <laughs> Another one would just say, Oh shit, all the time. <laughs> and that's a, that's a sad <laughs> thing to go out on, isn't it? <clears throat> because the, the mind gets stuck. In, in if you, if you don't if you don't uh, uh, develop if you don't work with life if you don't open to life then you you do kind of get stuck with a with the programming that that uh, uh, and and there's nothing much you can do about it till you you know especially as you get older you 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 just keep you're with something that that uh, uh, keeps the program keeps repeating itself. So it's a force of habit. So this is where, and say in 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 uh, like re realizing the unconditioned, and where you actually the gaps. That's interesting too. This has always been part of my practice, uh, observing the gaps between my thought. Or you know, I used to to really notice. I'd use us these uh, koans, you know, and where the, the these photos where you you um, ask yourself an impossible question, and then uh, and then your your thinking mind stops, and, and so I'd really be conscious of of where where I'm not thinking because before that, before I did that, I just only thought about non-thinking. I used to think, how do you stop thinking? And, and uh, I could think about non-thinking and not thinking, but I couldn't stop thinking. Now it was just, you're just going around in circles uh, with thoughts until you actually observe the, the, the gaps, the spaces. And to consciously acknowledge non-thinking. Now this gives you a, a way to deprogram the mind. Because then you can take the programs out. If, then they're, if they're not very good, <laughs> if you want to get rid of them. Uh, you, can, you can deprogram yourself. In, where there's just emptiness or pure awareness. 
But it, it, pure awareness is intelligent, and it, and it's it's uh, where we realize the truth, the gate, the door to the deathless. So we're not trying to just become a blank nothing, because that's another perception, isn't it? You know, Buddhists, we're, we're here at Amavati, we're all trying to deprogram the minds, they're just kind of a blank screen. Just nothing, but we're all a bunch of no-selves. And uh, that, that's, a, that's how it, you might perceive it. If you if you thought it out logically from a particular viewpoint that you might be holding to, but in terms of of experience, they uh, which you can only know from your own experience, isn't that you is that that when the when there's emptiness, then there then there is is uh, life, is vital. It's with the flow of life. It's not into a kind of dull, uh, zombie-like uh, grayness that that we move to, but toward a toward a a, a kind of effulgence. Where we're not just bound into the boring repetitions of, of our emotional habits and memories. So it, it is liberating, it's called liberation. And this is what, what people like Lung Po Cha uh, represent, isn't it? He was obviously someone that, that had, had done this, that actually put the Buddhist teachings into practical use. He wasn't just a Buddhist monk following a Buddhist convention, uh, teaching something that he didn't really know himself, but teaching uh, all about Buddhism uh, as if, you know, as, as he got it out of the scripture. But he actually, one felt that he actually had, you know, tread the path. He was on the path and he knew what he was talking about wasn't just the quoting scriptures type of monk. So that, that, is, uh, that, that really inspired me when I first met him because I'd never met anyone like that before. <laughs> and, uh, and even though I had uh, a lot of uh, interest in Buddhism, I still wasn't sure whether you could do it or not. I'd, I'd, I'd read so much of previous years. When I was in the military, the, for two years I was out on this ship in the Pacific Ocean, so there was nothing to do most of the time, so I'd just read endlessly. Join book clubs and I'd read psychology. I'd read Eric Fromm and all these. These were back in the 50s, mid-50s, and the and Carl Jung, and you know, reading, um, he just read all about philosophy and whatnot. 
And uh, and I found it all kind of very interesting uh, to my mind, but it didn't didn't seem to I didn't know how to apply it or how it, it didn't seem to make any great change to know all about these things. There there was a slightly the, a, b- a bit of a cynic, you know, when I came to Buddhism to actually practice. I wasn't sure whether it would work or not, whether it was just a, you know some kind of another philosophy that uh, was interesting, but you couldn't do it. So then it, w- it was, um, you know, quite uh, inspiring to, to meet someone that, that I felt had actually done it and actually made it work. <laughs> so that, uh, that was uh, my impression of Ajahn Chah, was he, he was someone that actually uh, quite a traditional monk in the, in the Thai tradition. You know, he wasn't a maverick, kind of heretical um, type force. He, was, he wasn't, it wasn't a divisive force at all in Thailand. He was a, a, one, of the, one of those rare monks that really uh, promoted unity, even between the two uh, opposing sects between the Mahanikai Tamayud sect, there used to be this, when I first went there, tremendous kind of hatred for each other. And uh, uh, used to, when you'd stay at a Mahanikai Wat, I remember I first stayed at a Mahanikai Wat in Bangkok, and, they, and I didn't know any of this, and one monk started telling me about Tamayud. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And he just come here, what's he talking about? Uh, that's all Buddhism, and and then he was going on about Tamayut and how horrible it is. And I went, stayed in a Tamayut one, and they did the same thing about. <laughs> uh, and so this was you get, you know, I didn't really like this at all because I wasn't interested in that, in the in those kind of issues. So then going to uh, Lumpachai, he was, he was actually under the Mahanikai jurisdiction, but his, his, uh, he embraced the Dhamma, so Tamayut Mahanikai was not an issue with him. In fact, every year in Vasa, began what he'd take us to visit the kind of important monks in both sects in Ubon, in Warin, so he'd, he, you know, he wouldn't just favor one and, and ignore the other. So he did, he created, a, and, and because he was a, a good monk, you know, in a conventional way, he was an excellent monk, uh, then he didn't create, uh, I mean, even though the people did spread rumors and the, some monks were very jealous of him and uh, they would spread rumors about him, you know, the bad rumors, they couldn't stick, you know, the rumors never really held because uh, there was nothing, there was nothing, nothing there that they would stick to. But then like all, all, all uh, 
things. Uh, when Ajahn Chah's ten, last years, ten years of his life, he was um, incapacitated badly, so couldn't speak, couldn't do anything. And many people wondered about whether he actually knew what was happening. And they described him as, 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 as some people thought he was just totally out of it, didn't know what was happening. But, but that's not my experience. Because uh, I, when I would go and see him, you know, I'd feel definitely I'd get a response. He could uh, gaze at me when I came in. The room, he took, he was really, you know, looking directly at mum, gazing right at, into my eyes. He wasn't a kind of a blank or asleep. But his ability to respond was, was that's about all he could do, was, was gaze, was look at you. And if he wasn't interested, then he just shut his eyes, closed his eyes. But this, isn't it? When you, it was interesting when, uh, when he uh, had his stroke and, and uh, the, just the, uh, the grief I felt uh, at seeing him. The previous year I'd seen him in Thailand and he's a very kind of charismatic figure, a very charming person actually, incredibly charming uh, human being and very good humor and tremendous and wonderful sense of humor and was was uh, somebody people really you couldn't help but be attracted to him and then the following year I went to see him in a hospital in Bangkok and he, he looked like a like a sack of potatoes just sitting in a wheelchair and like nothing nobody home and so that was, uh, I experienced a really a strong kind of grief when I saw that. Because uh, more than when he actually died, the, the real strong grief was seeing him in, in this pathetic state. But then the, the important thing that was that, that Nongpo Cha's gift was getting you to look at yourself. Even though he was the charismatic person, he was not trying to hold your attention, like drawing your attention to him and and pointing to himself. And so he could use his charm and his charisma as a way of kind of getting your attention to point back at, at oneself. So my, you know, I felt this grief, this loss. And I didn't want him to be like that. I could feel myself saying, I don't want you to be a sack of potatoes. I don't like you like this. I want you to be the Lumpur I knew. I want you to ha have your humor back. And I want to come here and, and uh, uh, I want to see you like you were. I don't like you like that. I don't, it, make, it makes me unhappy to see you looking like this. So I could listen to to this and going on in my mind. And uh, and then I could see how I was creating suffering. Uh, was it Ajahn Chah making me suffer? 
or was was I making myself suffer? So then I could see, you know, that the the that is actually the practice was the was the important thing, not not the personality. So in terms of of uh, loss of the loved, and that this this is we reflect on that, isn't it? That part of our uh, common human experience is loss. This is uh, the way things change. Loss of the loved or what we like is common to every human, every human being. So in, in, in the Buddha would take that that particular form of suffering, which which we all have, and and we investigate it. And when it happens, then you've got something that you can actually, you know, learn from, grow with. So the loss of the loved ones is, instead of being a tragic, tragic experience that ruins your life, it's something you 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 learn from you strength you grow you develop wisdom through that. So the suffering isn't isn't just a uh, you know just a negative view of life, but it's actually looking at it in a very real way, using suffering. Uh, for wisdom, developing wisdom. So asking these questions, like, where's Ajahn Chah? He can work in different ways, you know, both on the memory on the uh, you know re- respecting his, his what he's done uh, as an inspiring teacher enlightened master or we can see it in terms of uh, dhamma as it is now of a perception that brings up certain feelings like when I th- when I think when I remember Ajahn Chah I always have I feel it's a it's a good feeling. And somebody says Ajahn Chah, and then there's a, you know, that feeling is usually uh, a good one, pleasant feeling. Or if you say uh, um, something like Mrs. Thatcher, the different feeling. Doesn't have the doesn't have the same pleasant quality that I just. <laughs> or, you think of your mother and what what kind of feeling do you have? Or father and then they just to notice not to to see how the what the power of perception has on the mind. I mean, one can get really angry over if he just mentions uh, something. One word, and, you, and somebody will flare up because that word has, has you know, has, 
such emotional power for them. So this is this is what we have uh, in our humanity to work with and learn from, and and so that this this is like this retreat time is is uh, to 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 really learn from from what happens to you on this retreat, so that you can you know you're you're investigating dhamma. So whether it, what's happening is pleasant or unpleasant or uh, boring or mixtures or whatever, it's, it's all dhamma, isn't it? And it, it's how you, you know, you're, you have the choice of how to, how to you, you can either see it in terms of dhamma or you can actually just believe in and according to the, your habits. So, I find that, that the, the, uh, like investigating these five kandhas I've spent years doing this. So it doesn't, you're not going to just become an expert after, uh, one retreat. <laughs> Because it's a kind of ongoing challenge, and uh, but it it gives you, you know, I found that it really in these five categories of uh, body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness is is uh, is using these five ca- five groups, five categories as a way of investigating experience in the present. Not abstract experience, but no, not trying to get theory, different theories about the five khandhas, but make it work for you, you know, what is it, what, what is that now? It's like, what is Ajahn Chah now? What is Mother now? And so you're, you're, then you can you begin to see the, these, maybe Ajahn Chah, if you don't, no, and, and that maybe doesn't have much effect at all. You can say, uh, Woody Allen, does that do anything? Or, um, Chirac, does that cause any? <laughs> or Pol Pot, <laughs> <laughs> or Mahagosananda, what does that do, right? <laughs> uh, we begin to see that the uh, the the just the, the power of of a word. One time, years ago, the Achitters, the a Tibetan group in London called up and said the, what is it, the, they, they call it the Thai Siddhupa Tolku. And so and now I know, I met the Thai Siddhupa Tolku several times, I know who it is, but at the time, I didn't know what it was. So they said, 
they said, the Thai Siddhupa Tolku is in London and he wants to come and visit. Chitters. And, and just the way they said it, you know, they said it like Thai Siddhupa Tolku is a very important person. But actually, it didn't mean anything to me, Thai Siddhupa Tolku. But, but the way they said it, and the, oh, well, oh, the Thai Siddhupa Tolku, oh, yes. What is it? <laughs> I mean, you, <laughs> there's, a, you know, the, the tone of voice, and the, you, you, you realize that it's somebody important. But it could have been a joke. But I had to ask, what, who, what is it? You know, is it a, some kind of bird or? <laughs> Well, that's how titles were. And just thinking, if you if you've got a title, if you say <clears throat> Lord Denning is coming, uh, or you say the, there's a chap called uh, Paul Denning, he's coming for a visit. It's, you have a different feeling, isn't it? You, say, you know, Paul. Well, there's this this guy Paul coming, or the, Lord Denning is coming, Lord. It's uh, that different feeling, isn't it? If you put a title onto it, and and so I mean, you, you might, you know, despise all that, but but that's another condition you create. But just to see how how things affect, you know, titles have a purpose, and uh, they do have their effect on 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 consciousness. And so, in, in investigation, we can we we we're observing this. We're not we're not. There's nothing wrong in it. We're not we're not uh, making judgments about it. We're just noting how how we how things affect this sensitive form that we're that we have to live with for our lifetime. And then, by observing that all conditions are arise and cease. It's not a put down, but recognizing the condition realm is is can never be a refuge for us. It it will always there's always going to be something wrong with it. And if you feel there's something wrong with you or with life or with this place or with this country or with this planet, it's because you know, the tension is always on the conditioned realm. Because there's always something wrong with it potentially wrong. Even at its best, it's potentially can go all wrong. So that's just the limitation of conditions. They're, they're not perfect and they, they can't be. So there's always this feeling of anxiety around, if, you, if, you're, if that's all you know, that's all you, you allow as conscious experience is relationships with others, being attached to places, uh, your own personal feelings and your own opinions and views, then then there's always this this sense of anxiety that comes from that because that's the the conditioned realm is is unsatisfactory. It's not perfect, 
and it changes, and we, we have very little control of how it changes. It doesn't change according to the way we want it to change most of the time. So in, in terms of awakening, then the refuge is in the Amata Dhamma. And that you, you realize through paying attention in the present. The more you trust in paying attention and opening to the present, then you, you, you have that realization in which you have a refuge then not, that, is, that contains, that holds, that bears and will, will allow the relentless changes that go on in the conditioned realm. And then that feeling of there's something wrong and anxiety, that falls away once, you, once your attention is toward the unconditioned rather than just stuck in the ruts of the conditioned experiences. So I offer this as a reflection.